0: go to Psalm 95. Glad that you're here with us this morning. We are, uh, as Meg said earlier, we're at the halfway point of our 30 days of prayer, which is focused this year. uh, We did this like five or six years ago. um, Really just focused on just telling God awesome things about himself and uh, getting really specific in the roles that he plays and the different ways that he uh, ministers to us and cares for us and just who He is to us, um, and so that's that's an email deal that we send out every every morning. And so you can, um, you, if you're not on the email list, just reach out to me, one of the staff members, Meg, whomever. We'll get you on the list. But um, as we go through it, uh, it's also like coinciding with the Sunday series, looking at corporate worship and just. Like biblically, what what are we doing? What are we doing? When we're together. Uh, what does God have in mind? Like, why did He tell us to gather and to do so regularly and not to forsake the assembling together of you know with one another? Um, especially coming after you know the pandemic and the stay-at-home stuff and and all of our gathering rhythms have you know they got all you know, where we couldn't gather. Uh, and then ever since then, it's like all the churches are kind of like trying to relearn. What this is, you know. So I think God is is teaching us some things. Um, Today we're just going to walk through Psalm 95 and see what this psalm has to say to us as we're gathered together. Uh, So we're just going to go a few verses at a time. Uh, Start at the beginning. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. All right, stop right there. Read again, and as I do, I want you to think about the fact that uh, the psalmist is, in, is in, in the call to worship. Uh, there isn't like a specific single aspect of us that is, that is called out from everything else. It's an invitation for the whole self to come together to worship the Lord. Uh, this is a heart, soul, mind, strength, commandment one thing. We don't bring just part of us, we bring all of us. So look at all the different things involved here. Oh, uh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Okay, so we're, we're already engaging uh, our, our physical bodies in the act of singing. We are uh, engaging the right brain and creativity of how to make a joyful noise. Uh, figuring out what that what that's supposed to look like. Uh, how do you make a noise that sounds happy? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, we do that all the time, right? You go to go to a sporting event, go to a Mardi Gras parade. People are making joyful noises. They might not be joyful. It might be happy noises. This is joy of the Lord kind of no- noises. But when we're together. And things are just kind of happening where it's it's physical, it's mental, it's creative. Uh, verse two: Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Okay, that's heart, soul, mind, strength, kind of thing to, to come into the presence of the Lord um, to join together and to be grateful. That speaks of a certain disposition of our hearts. Uh, and again, let us make joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. This is a, this is a holistic. Kind of thing. Um, you, don't, you don't bring a part of you to worship. You bring all of you to worship. And even even commandment one, that's really what, what is at the bottom of all of that. When God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Another way to say that is it's your whole being. It's everything that you are. And so um, we come into a worship setting and we bring all of us. Part of what he's saying. Look at the different responses. Um, you have, he says, to sing and then songs of praise. So there's music, joyful noise coming into his presence. Just, just the idea of gathering together. That's an act of worship. Like you made a choice today to show up here because God is worth something. That's that's why that's why we do it. And so even showing up is an act of worship. Um, In verse 6, it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. If you're going to bow down or you're going to kneel, that's not only like physical acts of worship. Like you, you could go through parts of this morning and you could be kneeling. You could be bowing. But it's also a disposition of the heart. Like that's an attitude, a, a humility before the Lord That we bring. And so those things are acts of worship as well. If you were to start to pull in other parts of scripture, you would see that prayer is an act of worship. Um, You see that confession is an act of worship. Obedience is an act of worship. Um, Studying the scriptures, uh, writing that check and putting it in the offering plate, those are acts of worship. Our our generosity, our hospitality, there, there are all these different things. And so there is a very broad understanding when we talk about worship and how you do that. Uh, that's not limited just to the music part of what we do when we're together. Um, culturally, that's kind of what you think of. Sometimes people say that of, of uh, they would almost say, like, we just did the worship part, and now we're doing the preaching part, and then we'll do some more worship stuff after that. Instead of saying, No, it's all it's all worship. We're worshiping right now. And so in the gathering together of the people of God, there is a variety of ways this can surface. And you you worship outside of when we're gathered together as well. So our worship doesn't end when we say the priestly blessing and we go. It just changes forms. You know, It goes from a corporate gathering into maybe groups of friends or families or individuals. Your worship continues. You worship between the Sundays just as much as you do... Here, It's just different when we're together. And that's the focal point of this series, is what what about when we're together? Um, So the psalmist invites us to bring our entire self and in different forms to worship. And then if you were to go through and count through Psalm 95, there's 10 times where the psalmist says, we or us or our. This is a, a, a togetherness kind of thing. Uh, which might be obvious. Like, yeah, we're talking about corporate worship. But I'll come back to that in just a little bit. There's a significance to doing those things with other believers, with other people in the room together. He says, come let, let us sing. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. Uh, let us make a joyful noise. It's an us thing. Um, it's a, it's, it's a private thing, yes. And it's a corporate thing, yes. It's not one or the other. So, like, you are, um, you are a sheep in the flock of God. So, you have your identity as sheep, and then you have your identity as part of a flock. Um, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so, you are a branch connected to the vine, but we're all branches connected to the same vine. So, we are a big vineyard. And so, are you an individual branch? Yes. Are you part of a cluster of branches? Yes. Um, you're a son or you're a daughter, but you're also part of a family. And so we have that individual identity in Christ and we have a collective identity in Christ. And it's not one or the other. It's both and all the time. And so in the first two verses, we see all those things put together. We see this this like coming together as the people of God to bring our whole selves to him and to worship him in these different kinds of ways. And we, at Living Hope, we have certain, like, rhythms, I guess, for lack of a better term. If you were to go to church somewhere else, maybe they're, they're, the way they do some things may be a little bit different, and somewhere else a little bit different. It doesn't really matter. There's not a better or worse. There's just, like, hey, we're, we, just different expressions because we're different local churches. But the first two verses, we see those really important things brought out. Now, he, uh, he who, whomever wrote the song, we don't know, he or I don't really know, doesn't, doesn't say, so I'm just going to say he for now. So he goes on to not only tell us what we're supposed to do, but why we're supposed to do it. Um, like why why come together? Why stand and sing when it's time? Why med come lead us through a prayer time? Why study the scriptures? Why do we do these things that we do? What's the point of it? Uh, is it because it's Sunday and that's what you do? Is it because you live in the deep south, and that's like kind of what is happening all over the place, you know, this morning? Um, is it just because you're supposed to? Is it because you said you would? Is it because uh, whatever? There's got to be a why behind it, and so Psalmist goes on to tell us the why. So look at verse three, four, or you could even put in there because the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. The sheep of his hand. Okay, let's stop right there. We're going to pick up. Halfway through that verse in just a minute. A couple of things in those in what I'm thinking of it is verses one and two, he's saying, Here's what here's what we need to do. And then three, four, five, six, seven and a half is why we need to do it. First thing in verse three for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, with the lowercase G. Now, in their context. The gods of that region were uh, people worshiping created things, and you might remember we talked about broken cisterns for for a couple of months a while back. Um, created things; it could be an image carved into the to a tree stump. It could be worshiping the sun or the moon or the Nile River, or it could be you know anything that's created. Um, there, in our context, looks a little bit differently. We have created things that we. Worship, uh, all the time. Now, when I say worship, um, I'm talking about like, a like giving worth, or the psalmist in 90, in Psalm 96 says ascribe or assigning worth to something, um, or someone. So we assign worth to things and to people all the time. And sometimes those things are completely worthless. They, we should not be giving worth to some of the things that we tend to like elevate in our world. Um, but then there are things that are absolutely like worth worthwhile when it comes to like treating with honor and respect. You know. And so in the first verse, I talked about like like your children. Like this verse in in no way is saying like, hey, you should um, you should not really value your kids very much. No, it's just that God is worth more than your kids. God's worth more; He's He's worthy of worship. And actually, if you want to love your kids really well, you will live with that kind of order. Like the 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 worthiness of God will just will come before them, and they will know that, and that is the way that they need to be loved and shaped, and formed. They don't need to be exalted above the Lord. Neither does your spouse, neither do your best friends, neither do your things, neither does your career, neither does your money, neither does anything, anything that we could come up with. Nothing needs to be above the Lord. And so the psalmist is saying, the, the reason we need to come together and sing to Him, and kneel to Him, and bow before Him, and bring our whole selves before Him is because He's greater than all that stuff. Even the best things in life, He's still better, and when we live with that order, then it treats. when we treat differently. Uh, we treat one another differently, and we treat our things differently. It's kind of a, kind of a outside the example here. But um, when I was in college, I got uh, recruited. Me and a drummer friend of mine got recruited to go play with a, uh, a gospel quartet for this gig somewhere, and so we. Uh, me and Bruce, uh, we show up to play this gig and there's these four older, older dudes and a a bass and a baritone, a couple of tenors. And they sang what you get their songs and, uh, we played along with them and it was a, a good old time. Um, this guy came up to me afterwards and he says, Hey, what are the chances you'd sell me that bass? And I said, not real good. Um, and he said, I'll give you this much for it. And he tells me this huge number that was bigger than any number I thought I would ever have. Uh, as a, I was a college student, so I was like, whoa, that, I always joke, that number has a comma in it. I never thought that anyone would offer me anything that had a comma in it. Um, and I was like, why, would, why in the world would you want to buy this for me? So he starts to tell me all these things about this base. Now, this bass, I'm only playing this particular bass because the one I normally played, like I think I'd broken a string or I'd broken it somehow, it wasn't working. So I grabbed this old crusty bass out of the closet, take it with me. It's old, it's ugly, I just, at that time, like it was just all about how it looked, you know. So he starts telling me about this bass, what year it is, and that that year, the paint, uh, has. that's why it's yellow, because it's turned different colors over time, and the jimmy hendrix the guitar he played at woodstock is in a museum and it's turning yellow because it was the same generation of paint me and spence talked about this the other day uh like he's telling me all this stuff about. he's like it, it plays a certain way and it sounds a certain way and he's telling me all these things about it and he's handing me his card he said if you ever decide to sell it put me at the top of your list i'll outbid anyone and so i was like oh okay so two things happened in that in that moment uh one, I, it changed the way I looked at that bass. Like, he knew things about that bass that I didn't know, and it changed the way I looked at it. And then, it also changed my relationship to that bass going forward. Like, as I kept playing it, because I didn't have any money to fix the other bass, I started to play it and be like, man, it really does sound good. It really does. Everything that that guy said about it was true. And over the years, I've had other people walk up to me and offer me, like, money for it or, or ask about it or, you know, whatever whatever it may be. Um, I played in the jazz band at LSU uh, when I was in college for a little bit, and the Bill Grimes, who runs the, ran the jazz department at the time, he's, a, like, one of the best bass players in the world, and he, like, took it from me one day and was like, this is how it's supposed to sound, and he played it, and I was like, that's how the bass is supposed to sound. That's amazing. And now that's, like, one of my, like, it's like one of the things that I really value um, in a in a very different way. Corporate worship does that, you know. We come together, we bring our whole selves, we begin to worship him in these different ways, and but the ways that we worship him are it's it's about putting truth in front of each other, of saying, This is who God is. This is what he is worth, just him and of himself. And in part you you come to know like Jesus as savior in that first way, kind of like that guy was like, let me tell you about this base. Like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and your perspective changes. Um And then but from that point forward, you start to realize that okay, everything everything says true. Like God keeps proving himself over and over to be faithful to who he is, just like that base keeps proving itself to be awesome, except maybe in a greater way with the Lord. That when we come together, it it is that reframing, that reordering of life. Say, hey, I don't know what you've been told between the last time we were together and today, but let's uh, let's begin to sing and put the truth in front of us, so that all those things can make sure they're in their proper place, so that you can love the Lord first, and from that love, you can love your neighbor, which would be your spouse, your kids, your friends, those who are those who live around you, and those who are physically close to you at any given moment. Like it goes outward from there. That's, that's what happens in corporate worship. And so that's why the psalmist, I believe, takes a turn from, let's bring our whole selves, let's do these things, and this is why, because he's better than life. And you may have forgotten about it. Some might have lied to you since we were last together, so let's make sure that the truth is front and center in front of us. Verse 4, this, like this is some of the truth that will be proclaimed. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are also his, the sea is his for he made it, his hands formed the dry land like in their day they didn't they didn't know how deep the sea was. we know now, so we're not sitting here on this side of science being like, oh, those silly ancient near easterns they they really didn't know we're like no, they were totally right we just know we just know more specifics about what they're saying but the depths of the sea are His. The heights of the mountains are His. He He formed all of this. He spoke into this. He is our Maker. And then He goes right back to what He was saying, verse six. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. It's like, it's like in view of those things, He has to circle back to the worship, like back to the the acts of worship, the singing and the kneeling and the bowing. Like that's what's supposed to happen. We come together. We bring our whole selves. The truth is up there, and it just. Feeds our desire to sing more and to pray more and to be together more, and those things just fuel one another. And then look at the first part of verse seven for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It's like this this incredible God is He's ours. And we are His. Like He calls us His, wants us to call Him ours. But those things that's incredible and so it goes from this is who he is and what did that god do that god made us family that god looked at us in our sin and said i'm going to come and rescue you from it i'm going to lay down my own life so that you could not stay dead so that you could live forever and that invitation that's that's to all of us and if you've never said yes to that invitation You need to know that he's extending it to you right now in this moment, and he will never stop. We don't have to claw our way to him. We don't have to act just right. We don't have to earn it. We just have to believe that he is who he says he is, and he's done what he said He has done. If that's you today, I want you to stick around when we're done. I want to talk to you in a good way. And so you look you look at look at those two sections of the psalm. It starts off, come, let's bring our whole selves together with one another and let's worship him in these different ways. Why? Because of who he is. And from who he is, he has done great things. Now, you could like the writer of this song could have stopped right there and it'd have been pretty fantastic. But then the middle of verse seven, it makes like a hard left turn, and psalms do that sometimes. And there's probably different reasons. And I used to think that this psalm was like maybe like pieced together weird, or maybe like maybe like the writer had like a good day and then he had a bad day or something. Because look at where it goes next. Look at start in the middle of verse seven. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, quite a different uh, tone, right, than the first seven and a half verses. Well, we have to look at it in order to understand this. Like he brings up two locations. Like what what happened there? Like in verse 8. As at Meribah and on the day at Massa, what happened? Well, it, you don't have to turn to it, but if you were to go to Exodus 17, it explains what has happened there. Now let me let me read two other passages that, that have come uh, before this. One is in Exodus 16, okay, this is verse 3, it says this, The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Numbers 14, it says this, is 2 through 4, All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Okay, so what is happening here? Israel have been enslaved in Egypt. Uh, God sends Moses in to free them, and so uh, he tells the Pharaoh, let my people go. We all know the song. And so they leave. They see all of these miraculous things. They are traveling from Egypt to this promised land, and they hit some bumps along the road. And you got like a million people, so that's probably going to happen. And one of them was that there was a lack of water. So this is Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they've already been grumbling. They've already been complaining. They've already been plotting to raise up a leader to like lead them back to Egypt. And so verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What do I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and Go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, quote, Is the Lord among us or not? Meribah means quarreling, Massah means testing. This was such a significant event in Israel's history that God changed the names of those locations so that future generations would know this story. If you were in Hebrews 3, uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, this very passage and this very experience is, is unpacked uh, in, the, in, in Hebrews because this is something that was studied generations to come. And so what's the big picture narrative? Here you go. God rescues Israel through a series of miracles, is leading them toward the land of promise, and they become uncomfortable. And their uncomfortableness leads to them becoming afraid. And their fear leads them to come up with their own plan to run back to Egypt. Egypt. And that lands at a place where the end of that passage they're saying, is the Lord among us or not? Like that's a spiral that's happening, you know? And so what does it have to do with us? Why would this be in the psalm? Let me take a a swing at it. And I got a little help from Tim Keller on this one. Um, I had to because I just didn't understand how it all fit together. Let's think of the, the psalm in, in three stages. The first two verses, come bring your whole self, let's, as, as a family, let's bring our whole selves to worship the Lord. Why? Because he is worthy. He's done great things. Today, while we're, while we're worshiping him in all these ways, as a family, because he is worthy, Should you hear his voice. Don't rebel against him. Like our ancestors did. Don't let the fact that obedience. Might make you uncomfortable. Might make you have to confess some things or own up to some things or have some hard conversations or. Adjust some things about your life or your budget or whatever it may be like don't don't. Don't let the the actual uncomfortableness or the potential there make you spiral and contemplate just running back to what's known and what's familiar. Learn from that generation. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Follow him into the land. And I think if we step back a little bit and we look at the psalm, like what if... What if this is what's supposed to be happening and is happening every time that we're together? Like what if corporate worship is supposed to do that this this very thing right here? Let's bring our whole selves together, lift him high above everything else. And as we feel him stirring us, and we've all felt that, there's times when like you just you just sense things about Sometimes it's a spurring on to something. Sometimes it's scary to think, I, I I don't know if I can walk in obedience to what He has for me. And in our own ways, we we want to run back to Egypt. In the sense, we just run back to what's known. We want to run back to hiding, what to whatever. And maybe to the point where you don't really even want to come to church sometimes. You don't even want to gather for worship sometimes because you know you know the Lord's going to meet you in it. You know. But what if what if that's the part of the point, you know? What if that's why he says, "Don't forsake the assembly." It's so good for you because I bring about transformation in really specific, special ways when you're together. What if the whole point of this is transformation? I, I think, I think, uh, I think it might be. <laughs> But part of what this does is this kind of highlights a thing about corporate worship that maybe not, maybe not exactly what comes to mind. When we think about bringing our whole selves, um, Commandment 1 says heart, soul, mind, strength. You know, the heart in the ancient Near East, like in, in for biblical writers, they didn't, they didn't have the understanding of anatomy and of the brain that we do. And so, for them, like the heart was the it was the core of what we would now attribute to the brain. But it really doesn't really matter. They're saying that that's that's where your intellect comes from. That's where your feelings and emotions come from. That's where uh, like all of our like physical like our motor skills and all that kind of stuff come from. And that's where our our choices come from. And so, we would probably call. Uh, when the Bible speaks of the heart, and even in the passage where it says, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, we would probably interpret that as like the will. That's like vernacular for us would be the will. When you hear his voice, the, the, um, Forget what, I'm losing losing my train of thought. Of what do you would call him? But some people would say like you just you need to have some willpower when you hear his voice. And several years ago, uh, read uh, Dallas Willard, um, who's a was a philosopher. He's a believer, so he's like a theologian and a philosopher. And he said, you know the the will like we, the will has no power really. Says the will is it's it's influenced. And his study of the scriptures and of like human like psychology he says he kind of narrowed it down to three things. that it's a, our will is, is, is influenced and kind of bullied at times, but it's shaped by three things. The, our thinking and our physical body and our social context. Those three things. Thinking correctly. Um, the way that our like physical bodies engage with our mind and then the people that we're around. If you start to think about some of those things, there's probably times when, when when we have have seen those three things like shape our will and like send us down one road or another, if you think about it. And so how do you get your will? How do you get your heart? How do you not harden your heart so that you don't run back to Egypt and you run into obedience in the promised land? Like, how do we do that? I think the psalm is the answer. If Dallas is right in his study of the scriptures and of the human like experience, he's basically saying what the psalm is saying and what the Council of Scripture says, which is that when we are thinking correctly about who God is and who we are, and when we are engaging our whole selves in worship, like when we are when we come before the Lord and we sing and we bow down and we do all of these things, and we do so together, All three of those things are being influenced in such a way that makes Egypt look like a ridiculous choice. That if we are bringing our whole selves to him, our hearts will not be hardened. We will desire to push through what's uncomfortable, what we're afraid of that when when we are bringing our entire selves to him, and when we are lifting him above all else when when we are going for it in that way, we just we we desire what's ahead of us it says in psalm thirty seven delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart, which at first sounds like a blank check, you know delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you whatever you want, you know. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, when we put all of this into practice, He gives you the desires of your heart, meaning that your heart desires the things that He is giving to you. Your heart desires obedience because He's giving it to us. And so when we're together, like this, this has some deep meaning. Like this, this is like a really unique, like, place of transformation. And it's not to say that it's better than when you're by yourself or when you're with your community group or when you're having coffee with someone or, or whatever. It's just, it's just different. That when we come together, we begin to sing or be, we begin to pray and we begin to just drink it in and exalt the name of the Lord above all. We're, we're going to sense his leadership. You may not hear his voice in a literal way, and that's totally great. But I bet we've all been in those places where like the more the more deeply we dive in the more like I know I know exactly what obedience looks like for me. I know exactly what the direction I've been asking for is. I know I know exactly the conversations I need to have or I'm I'm starting to get an idea of what that might be. There's so many different ways to apply it. But perhaps like some of the transformation that we're seeking, maybe this is a part of where we find it. And so I see this as a As an invitation for us to continue to just dive more deeply into what, like, what the possibilities are here. Um, the thing is, like, you have to, you have to want to bring your will or your heart before Him in that way. You can still say no to Him. But the more faithfully that we are worshiping together and when we're apart, the more, the more that we are, like, living a life that is holistically one of worship the more obedience is really the only thing that ever makes sense. And so I hope that we are teachable and humble in thinking about it. I hope that we can always say, it doesn't really matter how I walk in, when I walk out, there's an alignment that I couldn't manufacture on my own, you know. Now the goal being that we walk in ready like ready to go, like eager for what he has for us, but he just says to come. Come all who are weary and heavy laden. Come who are having the, the worst week ever. Come who are having the best week ever. Just, just gather and sing and put the truth out there and let, let the Lord lead us forward. So I hope this gives us all something to aspire to, you know, that we would continue to deepen our understanding of what happens when we're together. So what we're going to do now is we're going to to do some more of that. Uh, We're going to put this into practice. So if you would, let's stand together. Let me pray for us. Uh, Before we sing and make some noise. God, I'm thankful for this group that's gathered and the group that was here earlier this morning as well. Thankful that we struggle to fit in one room, even though I really wish we were all in one room. Um, now we're just going to continue our worship for the next few minutes. Just, We're just going to change the way we do it. I pray that you would help us to see you as a great God and a great king above all gods. That you would help us to keep that order in place. That we would be quick to recognize that in your hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains. And that the sea is yours because you made it and that your hands formed the land. And with that in mind, we would worship and bow down and we would have the attitude and the posture of heart of, of where we are kneeling before you, Lord, as our maker. because you are our God and we are the people of your pasture. We are your vineyard, we are your family. And you have given us a seat at your table. So help us today as we sense your leadership to not harden our hearts, to not follow in the pathway of those who are full of fear and run back to Egypt, but that ahead of us we would just know that you're in it and that would be enough for us. So as we lift you high... May you have your way in this room in these next few moments. May you help us to focus, to be open-handed, to be teachable.